Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Becker's Hospital Review podcast. My name is Will Riley from R1RCM, and I'm very happy to be joined by Neo Cairo today. Neo is the Interim Chief Strategy Officer with Nashville General Hospital. Neo, welcome to the podcast. It's a delight to have you with me today. Thank you for the opportunity. So excited. Please uh, introduce yourself. So I have been in the revenue cycle and healthcare finance space for over 30 years. Um, in my journey, I have had the opportunity to uh, speak in front of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and also Congress being an expert in um, health electronic records. Uh, just recently in 2021, I was um, awarded one of the top 25 innovators by Modern Healthcare. And my current focus is working now with Nashville General, which is a public hospital in making sure that they change the healthcare delivery for middle Tennessee. And it's a very exciting time. Perfect. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about, about that. Um, we, I'm going to ask you a few questions around the healthcare landscape um, with some sort of focusing on top of mind issues and challenges as the industry heads into 2024. Um, we'll start outside the health system, or at least uh, on a big relationship that the health system has with, with payers. Um, we all know that um, payer provider relationships can be contentious. It feels that though that they're in a really difficult phase at the moment. Can you tell us a little bit about how your organization is approaching payer interactions at the moment and um, what impact that's having on you and your team? Absolutely. I think it's time for us to actually reframe our relationship with the payers. We spent the last 20 years complaining and complaining is not a solution is just making us all feel like we're in the same boat that has a lot of leaky holes. What we have decided to do, and it's very difficult because being a small hospital that is a public hospital, only 125 beds, getting the ear of the payer is a stretch. And it's a time that small facilities need to unite to get that ear because we serve that underserved desert in healthcare. But what we decided to do was to go and actually talk to the payer and start working, looking at our contracts and literally start looking at solutions of interoperability with the payer. Understanding how to do prior offs to the level that if my patient comes in and gets a prior off for a procedure and then the physician finds something that he doesn't get denied all the way through because the physician had to do something at that table. The fact of the matter is we want to give good care. And I know the payers do also, but their problem is they also have a boss, which is the employers. So what we have started doing is talking to the payers and the employers together and start talking about language, terms, in the contracts so that it is a win-win for the patient, that member, and also for us to be able to stay afloat 
because we're getting reimbursed for the wonderful work that our physicians are delivering. It's very interesting. Do you think bringing in that employer voice allows you to focus more on the patient themselves? Or like, how does that change the the conversation? I think it's essential that the employer get educated. One of the things that we saw, you know, um, was even in our own health insurance, when we started looking at the terms being self-insured with the city, we noticed that the terms were terms that were made years in the past and never were changed to go along with the current care that is delivered today. And it had all these stipulations. So when we started clearing up the terms within the contract and educating those that are doing the actuarial work, it really changed our language. Mm. And they understood how doing the correct care uh, that goes with uh, the chronic care model that goes with uh, the quadruple aim actually delivers the results that they want and lessens the cost. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, very good. Let's um, touch on another topic around payer relations, which is denials. Um, again, I think across the industry, certainly in our data, we've seen this big increase in denials over the last couple of years, coupled with us, I think, a, a, a slowdown in, in payment uh, times generally from commercial payers. Can you talk a little bit about how that is impacting your health system right now? Yeah, um, it has been devastating. You know, we came from being at single digits in our denials to um, a situation of high double digits. And we know that in the industry, if we look at HFMA even uh, broadcasted a 35% increase in denials in the last year. And it, it really has everything to do with the pandemic. During the pandemic, the payers were so happy with their margins. How do you keep the margins high? Well, you keep them, in that case, they kept the margins high because nobody was getting care, right? There was a deference of care. Now the margins are being kept high by deferring our payments and giving us more denials. The strategy is a strategy is the more denials, the less that healthcare systems will be able to answer them because they're inundated. We all have a scat, we all have less employees available to us to answer those denials. So now if we do not have technology, AI, RPA, to actually help us with our denial uh, responses, we are not gonna make it. Yeah. What we expect in our budget is just not going to happen. We're not going to get the money that we need to operate. And that's why we went out and said, we got to talk to these payers. We got to change the conversation. We cannot be reactive. We need to be collaborative with them. Yeah, it's so interesting and well said. The 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 reactive approach must be incredibly difficult for your team and your organization to deal with, right? Because you've got staff turnover, hard to re recruit and retain good people. These are complex situations. Can you just tell us a little bit about the administrative burden that these high denials rates are causing? And Yes, absolutely. So 
in our situation, we do have our um, back end of revenue cycle outsourced. However, for denials, it's my our team mm. that actually handles most of the denial responses, especially the clinical denial responses, and then some of the administrative denials. When you're in a situation that you are getting over 30% of your claims with request of information. That means that you're holding, when you before expected that when you submit a claim, 65% of them were gonna get paid right off the bat with without any extra work. Now it's gone down to 35 to 40%. The pendulum has shifted. And what that means is if you do not have a machine ready to get that information out so that you can get that payment still in the month, you're not going to survive. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're seeing the increase of hospitals closing because they can't compete. For us, it's a major issue because we're a public hospital. See, the public hospitals, the way that Nashville General gets paid by the city, the supplement that they get by the city, it actually is a invoice to the city for the care that they give for indigent patients. So it's not a situation that they can, you know, in any way say, oh, I need more money. No, we're only getting paid for those we served. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's not a winning proposition. Mm -hmm. When payers are playing games with providers, not understanding that they're putting them in a situation that they are diverting their attention from care to administrative duties, we're putting everyone at risk. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about another um, sort of frontier in, in healthcare's relationship with the wider world, the, the regulatory environment. Um, how, it, the regulatory environment's always been been complex. It feels like it's changing quickly or it's volatile, if that's the right word. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to get a sense from you of how the regulatory landscape, either at the local or federal level, is 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 landing with you right now. I think it's very reactionary. Mm. Um, I think we're the thing that you can rely on the regulatory landscape is a lot of noise, especially in an election year. Or, you know, or election season, I should say. A lot of noise, but little, very, uh, what's the word, uh, anemic movement. Hmm. So we're going to have interoperability. Well, they talked about that two years ago. It doesn't go into effect until 2026. 20, we're going to do, um, you know, transparency. Well, it's not really baked and it's going to be rewritten. So we're looking at 2025, you know, um, again, a prior authorization. Big conversation about it for what, two years. When is it going to affect 24? So it's react, react, react back and forth. But the problem is the only ones that are getting hit with the regulatory is the provider. The provider has to consistently redesign their systems, consistently change their processes, consistently react. The payers are not impacted. 
the pairs are in a situation that they are kind of able to maneuver around these regulations. When you look at the X-12 committee, isn't it interesting there's only one pair in the X-12 committee and it's all, I'm, I'm sorry, one provider. It's all pairs mm -hmm. that run that committee. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the committee talking about interoperability. So if the payers are the ones controlling the committee for interoperability, what chance does the provider have in order to get something that is fair that they can comply with? We are at a negative situation in being able to comply, and we don't have a voice at the table in Congress, in the Senate, to be able to get the attention, even though we are trying the American Hospital Association, the large IDNs go to the Hill to make all these conversations, but guess what? They're not being heard. And that is why these regulations are not working for us because our voice is not part of the solution. And that's what we need. Mm. Let's, let's end with a focus on where it really matters and where your health system does it's great work with patients. Obviously, your situation is unique. Um, I'd love to hear about it a bit. But tell me about consumer expectation or patient expectation. How has that changed for you over the last five or 10 years, either through technology or just societal changes? Uh, mm -hmm. How does that um, manifest itself every day uh, with you? We started out with a very patriarchal system that the patients basically followed whatever their doctor said. In the last 10 years, we have patients that have demand needs and they express them and they have higher expectations. With the world of self-service, the patient expects that they should be able to book an appointment just like they book a flight. They want to be able to maneuver their financial responsibility just like the way they do it in their bank or they do it in making any purchase online. They also are seeking education about what their policy is about. Many patients enter into a policy and we have made it so convoluted that it really takes multiple degrees to understand just the basics of their mm -hmm. policy. Uh, we are in enrollment season and I was listening to NPR and they said, oh, take all the options and create a spreadsheet and then look at how much you spent last year. Ask your insurance company to take and give you all that expense and then go into your tax reform, your tax papers from last year and look at how much you actually paid in taxes on your margin. And that 20% is what you should be looking at in savings. <laughs> and I was like, who has the time <laughs> to do all that? And yeah. I am not exaggerating. Yeah, This is what they were telling your basic mom and dad to do while they have kids running around the house, yeah. you know, driving them crazy or driving the kids to soccer. We can't do it. We have made it so complex that patients are revolting and we have eroded their trust. What we have done at Nashville General is... We have done listening sessions. We have done education at the level they want it. 
we make sure that we have advocates to help them understand and navigate their insurance plans. We make sure that we also have the peripheral care support that the patient needs. So if you're a diabetic, we have a food pharmacy. And our pharmacy is not just giving you food, it's giving you the right food that goes along with your culture that is going to make you compliant to your diabetes. Mm -hmm. We're making sure that we are helping them with philanthropic care um, support for their cancer. You know, how can I pay when I don't have the money? Well, there's enough philanthropy out there that supports cancer care and um, um, pharmaceuticals. And we're linking our patients with that. What we're doing is we're looking at the person as a whole person. And that is what patients want and families want. Because remember, 60% of patients are supported by a family member for their care. It's a family member that pays the bills. It's a family member that makes the appointment. It's a family member that sits in the pain of the illness. So we have to take care not only of the patient, but also that family member. And that is our commitment at Nashville General. Neo, that feels like a, a wonderful place to end. Thank you so very much indeed for spending time with us today. Thank you. Thank you.